This is Rebecca Fleetwood Hessian, host of the Badass Women's Council podcast. And today we have Lisa Murtis on the show, and she actually has her own podcast called Handle with Care. And she's an expert in empathy. And you gotta love that. Unfortunately, Lisa came to this expertise hard-earned and with much sadness. But she, like so many others, has taken her story and is using it for good. I can't wait for you to hear from Liesl. Here we go. Liesl, how are you today? I'm well. Happy Friday, Rebecca. Happy Friday. So I love the complementary nature of our work. So I am expectant. This is going to be a super fun conversation. Yeah. I'm going to do a little setup about that. So when we met through an introduction from our friend Jennifer Robbins, I was immediately drawn to you, not only because the work you're doing is wildly important, but it comes from a very passionate and personal place. And any time that we can do work that is born out of our story and our uh, who we are, I think it just lends itself to do it at a different level. Is that fair? I deeply agree. And um, yeah, my story of my own disruptive life event has profoundly influenced the work that I do now of wanting to empower forward thinking companies to come alongside their people with empathy and compassion as they go through their own disruptive life events. So I deeply resonate with that. Yeah. So as I said in the introduction, you, you teach empathy in the workplace. And as someone that came from corporate America and did a lot of good work, a lot of corporate um, training and development and engagement work, I want to pause on that for a minute because it's easy to take those words and put them into the corporate construct and just put them under the list of all the things that engagement specialists and culture specialists say you should do, but I want to talk about it today from that deeply personal place and why it matters. So would you take a minute and share a bit of your story and how we, how you got here? Yeah. Um, so as it comes to how it influences my work, we go back to 2010. I had been, um, working for a couple of years in international development work, um, both in the U.S. and in Kenya um, after I graduated from college. And I was just starting IU and the Kelly School of Business had offered me a great scholarship. Um, I said yes and found out a week later that I was unexpectedly pregnant with our third child. Um, but both my husband and I had a tremendous sense of our own capacity to multitask and overcome and do all of the things. And we thought, oh, it'll be fine. We'll be fine. I, I remember um, pitching to one of my professors as to why they should still let me go on this international consulting trip to Ghana um, and bring what would have been my, my two-week-old along. I was like, I've traveled overseas with babies. It'll be fine. <laughs> so it just, it goes to... Um, yeah, it just goes to show the the balance kind of energy that we brought to that life 
stage, but I found out um, partway through my first semester that the daughter that I was carrying, her name um, was Mercy Jones. She had a pretty profound um, birth defect. So there was, she had this large fluid filled sac on the back of her skull where it hadn't closed. And um, we were coming up to India all the time for, um, for imaging and consults. And basically what the doctor said was with this condition, um, which was called an encephalocele, they said there's a wide range of outcomes. Um, sometimes you can operate on these children and they just have um, kind of minimal complications. Um, sometimes it's terminal. There's a wide range in between. And frankly, we won't know until we can get an outside the womb MRI. We won't know the scope of, um, yeah, the extremity of this condition. So that was, that was a complicated time of waiting and wondering. Um, I gave birth to Mercy right around this time of year. It was February 15th in 2011. Um, she, was, she was a beautiful little girl. She looked more like me than any of my other children do. Um, but it was really clear. They said, you know, if we do anything, it will be doing things to her and not for her. Um, she couldn't breathe on her own. So she lived eight days um, before dying on the 22nd. And it's... I mean, it's devastating. It's horrible. And so many, I mean, it is such a profound grief that I still reckon with, you know, I was, I was just writing the other day about how even nine years later, there's still these repercussions of, um, yeah, a grief that we all feel. It, as it relates to this work, though, also, it was a moment for me to observe um, the people who really came alongside me well and what a difference it made in my ability to continue to engage with um, my graduate program and continue to be present. Um, and then the people who their discomfort was so clear. Um, and I don't even think they, they knew the ways that they missed me when they missed me. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward a little bit. My, my youngest is a He's five and a half. His name is Moses. And he also, he had a completely unrelated condition to mercy. He um, was totally missing one of his valves in his heart. So he's actually been a, a Riley patient. He's had to have a number of open heart surgeries. Um, what they can do at Riley is staggering. He's doing super well. And that's that Riley's, Riley Children's to, uh, Hospital. Place of Yes, thank you. Yeah. Riley Children's Hospital um, here in Indianapolis, just in the tri-state area. They are tremendous. Um, but yeah, so that was another area to step into this profoundly disruptive life event and to be like, some people do this well, some people do this poorly. Is this just innate or can people and specifically organizations where we spend more time awake than we do at home, you know, in the workplace, can we get better at this or do we just have to fall back on, well, some people are good, some people are bad and it's a crapshoot in the middle. And we have to get better at it. I'm deeply passionate about shifting our work and even the way we educate our children away from this industrial age factory model of work into one that is rich in humanity because our work is about building communities that serve other communities. And that's what work right. is. It's humans gathering together to do good work. And we have to get intentional about the skills that allow us to do that well. And so I 
I love this work that you're doing and that you have seen this opportunity to say, you know what, I saw the difference and I want to help others um, based on your story. I think that's a beautiful way to use a really troubling, sad, horrific story mm-hmm. in a way that you can do some whole lot of good mm-hmm. to, with and for others. Well, thank you. I um, I appreciate the work that you're doing um, in building community. I appreciate the work on a wider scale of national discourse of this recognition of something that that I feel like the millennial workforce has given voice to, but it is a deeply human need of saying, I'm a holistic person that comes to the office. I am not just what I produce from nine to five and I can shut out these other areas of life. Um, but that, you know, I bring my whole self and I, it makes me think, um, Sheryl Sandberg, who's known very much for Lean In, she also wrote the book Option B um, that she penned after her husband dropped dead on a treadmill. And she's, you know, the CEO of Facebook. And she described, amongst many other meaningful reflections, what it was like to still be showing up to work after this profound grief. And she felt there's this passage um, that I I use in some of my workshops where um, she felt she felt like I'm such a mess and she was in this meeting and you know, she said something that was like repeating somebody else's point or just made her feel like, I don't even have a place here. What am I doing coming to work? And she, she writes about how she left that meeting just feeling so overwhelmed and maybe I should quit. Maybe like, maybe I just can't even be present here. And um, Mark Zuckerberg, who was her immediate boss came to her and he said something along the lines of like, you do good work. Um, you matter here and we're here with you in this. And like, you're, you're going to be, um, you're going to feel like more of yourself at a moment beyond this. He like cast a vision for her while also affirming, like you have a place here, you do good work. And I feel like on a micro level, like that was done for me in so many like human encounters along the way, which was really so important for what I needed to actually, because when you're sad, you know, it can feel so totalizing. You can feel like I'm not the worker I want to be. I'm not the parent I want to be. I'm not the friend I want to be. I'm not the pet owner I want to be. You know, whatever is important to you, it just reduces your capacity. Um, but to really be seen and heard by someone else is to feel some life and hope. It doesn't make everything better, but it can give you a sense of like, okay, maybe I can take that next step, um, which is hugely impactful. And and when you go through significant life events, whether it's, you know, you speak of of the death of a child or the major surgeries of a child. I went through a divorce when I was at the top of, you know, my professional career and they are disruptive events and there's a variety of them, right? There's no um, encompassing list of what those are, but it is defining also in how your community divides. You know, there are those that, as you described, step in with you, and there are those that just can't or won't, but it definitely changes the trajectory of your community moving forward. Mm. And I found that to be startling because oftentimes in when I talk about this with others who have had a similar experience, 
it's not always the people that you think it was going to be that step in with you. Sometimes it's unexpected. So just where did they come from and thank God they're here. And then they become a part of that vision and that story of your future. So it's, it really is disruptive in all kinds of ways. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. The people who step up or don't step up can surprise you. And I think sometimes those people surprise themselves because what, what I hear, you know, as I do workshops and training is that actually like the ball with people who are going through a hard time, they don't want to miss those moments. They just feel so profoundly under equipped and personally uncomfortable that they don't know what to do. And, and so, you know, even in my workshops, I go through these, a few of these common avatars and anybody, I mean, I'm sure for you, you could put faces to these types of people. There is silent Sam who it's the individual who, when you are going through your divorce, they, all they can think of is, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. Is it going to sound like I'm taking sides? I've never gone through a divorce. I don't want to make it worse. I mean, what if she just wants to focus on her work? I'm not going to say any, but then they end up not saying anything and not acknowledging this major thing that's going on in your life. And people think they can default to thinking, well, I don't want to, I don't want to bring it to mind for this person. This is, it misses the reality of whether it's a child that's died or a divorce that you're going through. Like it is present in your reality all the time. And that just to ignore it is really to be ignoring a part of you that's very important at that time. So I say to people, if you remember nothing else, remember that silent Sam is the worst. Um, Then there's people, there's like cheer up Cheryl who hears you say something like um, my, my son is really sick. You know, he, he has strep throat and it's complicated with this infection and she, you know, cheer up Cheryl jumps right to something like, well, at least it's strep throat. You know, I know somebody who their son has leukemia right now and they have to go to like, at least it's not cancer. And you think, oh you think true, true. Cancer would also feel really bad, but you're like really missing my pain right now of how bad strep and an infection are. And um, anything that starts with at least, at you know, least just shouldn't be always bad. And then um, one of one of the last like primary types is commiserating Candace, who as soon as you tell the story of, hey, I'm going through a divorce right now and it's really hard, jumps in with, oh my gosh, my second divorce was the worst. I just remember having to be on the phone with these stupid lawyers all day long. And suddenly you're listening to her story and having to say something like, I guess that sounds really terrible for you too. And just, you know, it's, it's unwittingly selfish and pulling all the attention away from people. And often it's not malicious. People think they're trying to connect. I taught the seven habits of highly effective people for decades and in habit five, which is seek first to understand and then to be understood, Candace, commiserating Candace would have turned into what we would have called an autobiographical response. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden your pain is, is heard and felt through her story 
that then she flips the script and sometimes they don't even know they've done it, but you right. are left there standing like, okay, so more about you. <laughs> You're right. Well, and, and when you, when you say she doesn't even know that she's done it, that's absolutely true because in, in these places that are, they can be profoundly uncomfortable because we don't know what to do. They can also be really uncomfortable because we ourselves have been hurt in our past, we've gone through life disruption and somebody has maybe missed us or we felt like it's a place that has to be buried in ourselves. Like it actually can touch on very deep human things, which we explore a little bit in these workshops, but you find yourself operating out of whatever toolkit um, has been given to you, whether that is what your aunt told you when your grandfather died and you were 10 years old and you find yourself saying the same thing to everybody through the rest of your life. And in a business context, when we talk about the actual cost that it is to organizations, how it affects productivity and engagement and how people, they like need you to be present. It's to be able to examine, okay, so these are the tools that you have in your toolkit right now, whatever age you are at 42, these are the, your empathy tools in your toolkit you can actually get better. Um, you can exchange those tools for better tools to get you where you want to go, which is to say, you know, we want to create a place and a culture that is life affirming and people feel seen and valued. And not just that, believing that in so doing, we are helping people to survive, to stabilize, and then to thrive on the other side of adversity. Because yeah. You don't want to just cast off your people because they've had something hard. You want to help them come out on the other side of it. So let's tie two things together from, from that. It, one is, as I said, this is disruptive and defining in terms of your community. So if your managers and leaders don't possess the skills to handle this well, this can be the moment where they disengage from their feelings and security and belonging about their work. So you can have a really great employee that now no longer is investing their best self once they do recover to the point of being able to thrive again, because the defining moment was my manager didn't handle this well. And totally. you're talking about moving from, which is my mantra when I work with my clients, habitual to intentional. So habitual is, mm. this is my emotional response. This is, I, I'm resonating with you. So I'm going to inadvertently be commiserating Candace because I'm just using what I know and that, that's my habit. I'm just going to do that. Instead, your work is going into organizations and teaching managers and leaders how to recognize and the skills to respond in a way that leave people engaged and whole as they work through their, these disruptive events. Yeah, absolutely. Those are two great points. And to touch on the first of the conclusions that people make in those moments about, I, I like the term of, it's a defining moment for a community. One, one part of the work that I do is I'm the host of the Handle with Care podcast, where we bring in people who have experienced talk about how they were met, how they were missed. We have three key takeaways at the end of each episode um, for managers, coworkers, or friends. 
how that relates is it has been a window into talking with a lot of people, whether it's dealing with a family suicide or Parkinson's disease or PTSD. And when you go through something disruptive, by very nature of the word, so much is up in the air. You are like putting pieces together. What are you going to keep? What are you going to cast away? You know, this is like, I never expected this. It's a really pivotal moment where if work mishandles you, a theme I hear again and again is people who are like, that was the moment that I decided I was out of there. And six weeks later, you know, I gave my, I was just, I was at a networking event just last quarter and a woman was telling the story of, she was the top producing real estate agent just in units moved and dollars in the door. And her daughter, who is a high schooler, um, had this, she was with the wrong crowd. She's in a car. She gets in an accident. It, it was really messy. But just this woman's direct manager, as she was compromised with her daughter, handles her so poorly that she was like, I was out of there exactly six weeks later. You know, I just decided I am done. And on the other side, I mean, I, I don't want people to primarily engage in, you know, the work of workplace empathy out of this fear base. Like we don't want people to leave because there's a true piece of like, man, if you can be a place of stability when everything else, you know, when the, when the stuff hits the fan, um, when everything else is falling apart, if work can be a place where it's like, hey, they're not making everything all better, but this is a place where I can come and I know that they've got my back and they're rooting for me through this, you will win an advocate for life of people, you know, singing your praises. Um, yeah. And on the it other is side. so true. So the optimization opportunity yeah. is great from an engagement and culture and that that employee is going to be they won't forget that but I can right. I can think of immediately when you were talking about when it's mishandled I immediately had three people come to mind who have told me stories about the mishandling and that defining moment and so yeah. your work is to give people the tools to, to not even need to go there, just to optimize how to, to handle these situations with care so yeah. that it breeds the kind of community and relationship that we all want to work in. That's, that's right. a beautiful thing. Well, and the, and the good news for companies, it's worth investing in, even if you know it took a lot. But the themes again and again, like they're not necessarily high cost interventions they're not super high touch, like the things that really mean something to people, they just take that intention. It's it's pivoting those conversations that can go off the rails so easily and being like, hey, this is this is always a stupid thing to say. You just as a manager, just jettison that, never say that. These are some these are some stock phrases that even if you don't know what to say, say them and it'll convey so much more. So you might, you know. Even as a manager, you can you can be at a place where you think, I went through the training, I still don't know what to do. Even to say, I don't even know what to say right now, but that sounds so overwhelming. I'm really sorry that you have to go through that. Um, or just when somebody tells you about something really hard, just say, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, to learn skills of inviting them to say more, just to give... Yeah, there's a whole, if we were in a consulting session, just these like stock 
phrases that really do convey care and give space for someone to either speak more or not. Um, you know, we teach people how to more fully utilize their EAP programs, all the things that we already have in place. But really an, an image that's meaningful to me is what I want to create is a group of workplace first responders. Um, that's meaningful because in the physical realm, sometimes when I talk about this, people think like, well, I don't know, can you really like equip me to talk about a miscarriage and a divorce and a cancer diagnosis? Like those are really different things. And to say in the physical realm, we figured this out. You know, we, we have people who they can treat, um, a head wound, they can treat a twisted knee, they stabilize somebody for those next levels of care. And, you know, you don't, not to create a cohort of like counselors or things like that. In fact, if you're getting into that realm as a manager, you probably need to send someone on to the next level of care. But to say as managers and coworkers, you can help stabilize someone to their next level of care. They might need in the physical realm, an ambulance or an orthopedic surgeon, uh, you don't have to be those things. You just have to help them till that next level of care comes. And somebody in the social emotional realm, like they might need counseling or medication or a pastor or a rabbi or a support group. Um, you don't have to be all of those things, but just to help stabilize them to whatever next level of care they need. Wow, that's a beautiful metaphor because it is uh, this this uncertainty that exists that you know, I can think back to my son who has more empathy than any human being I think that I've ever met just out of the womb. I'm, I don't know how I got so blessed to have him, but he wanted to save everybody and everything all the time. And he would come home and say, this is happening to one of my friends at, at, at the, in their home. We have to do something. And I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we, we, we don't, because I always said, you know, anybody that needs a place to stay, they're always welcome in our house. I wanted to create this welcoming environment, for, but he, he wanted to take it miles further than it needed to go. And so I taught him that listening and giving someone space was the greatest gift that he could give that his mm -hmm. responsibility was not to fix the problem it was to give them the love and empathy and space just through listening and caring and and but to be given permission and and being taught that especially in the workplace where it's go 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 busy 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 and, and to be able to say to a manager, this is what it looks like to give space. It's not about sitting for hours and hours. It's just knowing the right responses in that moment. It's yes. such a gift. Yes. It's, um, it's believing that holding space actually does matter. And like you said, it's pushing against the inclination that we all have of when somebody's hurting, we want to make it better for them. Um, but there, there are things that are not quickly made better that are to be lived through. And also on a, on like a strictly practical side, if you are worried about dealing with you, if you're worried like, Oh my gosh, if I open this up, then the floodgates are going to be open and I'm going to be sitting for two hours listening about somebody's there are individuals like that and they might be in your workforce. That's not like a false thing. And there's still an empathetic way to engage with those individuals. You know, if it is 10 minutes into an interaction and this person, it seems deeply meaningful for them to talk, there's a way to be able to say, you know, I so appreciate you coming and telling me about this. 
um, I actually do need to get back to work. Can we reschedule and talk about this again two days from now? And do you have the information about our EAP program where you can, because sometimes, I mean, two days later, someone doesn't need to vent in the same way. They're actually like empathetic strategies that you can put into place if that is something that you're actually worried about. But it's still conveying care even while protecting some of the boundedness of the working space. Mm, I love that. Two things I want to I want to draw out. One is is the awareness of the broad scope of disruptive events that are a part of every single person's life that I know. I'm sitting here as we're talking and I'm just thinking, do I know anyone that hasn't had some degree of a disruptive life event in their working career. And even, even with, with children in, in high school and, and I can't think of one. So we're not just talking about large isolated events. We're really talking about humanity and the way that we live and work together in the midst of these disruptive events, because it can be, you know, a sick child, a divorce, um, financial challenges, death, like the list goes on and on of what disrupts us from being our best self because our emotional bandwidth can only handle so much. Right. So, well, and like you said, so I, I talk about four main categories of disruptive life events and, and you touched on almost all of them, a death, a diagnosis, a relationship transition, which is purposefully broad to talk about, you know, that the ways that people are forming and dissolving their intimate partnerships, which is way more than just I'm married, single or divorced. And then circumstances, the fourth one is circumstances around bringing a child into the home, um, whether that is IVF treatment, miscarriage, adoption, um, foster care, trying to work postpartum for both men and women. Um, another like meta level disruption. Uh, I consult with companies who are going through a reduction in force as they're going through layoffs. Like this is literally a trauma to your workplace. And how do you prevent turnover contagion? And what does it mean to have to show up to work with more on your plate and not more money and, and your best friend's gone? You know, that is its own trauma. Um, yeah, it touches, it touches everyone's life. And yes, so yeah. I agree. Yeah, the scope so this, is wide. The scope is wide. That was the first thing. The second thing is because the scope is wide, if you work with someone, manage someone, this is impacting your life right now. So as a listener, right. this is impacting your life. So what are two or three practical, pretty all-encompassing responses or tips that you could give our listeners today that would help them be better at empathy today. Um, First, as a manager, you are going to have to up your game if someone is going through a disruptive life event. Do not be silent, Sam. Give attention to this. And what I say to managers is in the immediate aftermath, well, okay, here's a super practical tip. If someone has let you know, whether it is a, a death or, you know, something that they won't be in, First, check with that person. Is this something that you want the rest of the team to know? 
ask about the email going out. Like that sets a tone, even in how you speak about it. Um, because what you want to do is you want to convey we're a culture that cares and solicit other team members' buy-in in supporting that person. Um, so how you phrase it, whether it's in the first email or some of those first team meetings. Um, so if it was if it was you, Rebecca, and you're going through your divorce from a couple of years ago, and you've come to me as your manager to say, you know what, it's just like, it's really chaotic right now. And I know that I have this big or training, but I need to offload a couple of things. Um, and I say, can I share this with the team? You say, yes. Uh, it sounds very different if I commute a team meeting, you know, they like, you're not there. I cannot believe that Rebecca is going through this right now. It's such a busy time. This is such an important client. She's asked after it, like, I can't believe, so we're all really going to have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And this is such a bother versus reiterating those two things, the culture that we want to be and how we're going to give support. You know, we are instead starting with something like we're a community that helps support each other. We know that hard times are going to happen. This is a hard time for Rebecca right now. And I'm going to be with you to help, you know, uh, allocate tasks and we're going to get through it. And I know you might need to be picking up more, but this is who we are because who knows when somebody might need help like that. Um, along with upping your game, the second. And those are two very, very different responses with different outcomes, not just to the person going through the event, but to what the team feels and believes about the culture because of the way that you've responded. Yes. Yes. Do so that impact is far greater. Weakness. Like, man, I'm totally going to be judged. If you're forcing your people to have to hide their stuff, um, that comes out in their health, that comes out in their engagement, that comes out in their communication. Like a little bit, my, my father's a surgeon. There is the trauma of surgery, but like wound infection is one of the biggest things. That's why people are calling you, like the nurses a day or two after surgery, like is there any redness or swelling? And when you have a culture where things have to be hidden, it's like, it's that kind of infection mm -hmm. that it happens slowly, but it is really damaging yeah. any work you're yeah. doing. Um, second practical point, plan some regular check-ins with the person. And it does not even have to be like a whole meeting devoted to checking in around their disruptive life event. Maybe put it in your calendar of a five-minute slot every Tuesday where you are going to stop by their desk and they don't even have to know that you're doing it, but you're planning on it to stop by and say, hey, I just wanted, um, wanted to let you know I realize this is still a hard time for you. And we're there for you. And if there's anything you need to talk about or any support you need, my door is always open. Like it doesn't even have to be sometimes explicitly asking can put people on edge, but just that display of support plan for six weeks after the initial incident that you're going to regularly do. That. That's being intentional. Um, being intentional. It's good for just your management in general, um, but especially around these times. Um, the third thing that I would say, just as to communication, remembering those avatars a little bit, that the biggest thing, that if there was just one thing to take away, you actually, you could, you could say something stupid. You could be one of those people that compares your own experience or slightly minimizes it. But the fact that you're willing to move towards a person 
that's hurting. Like in, in my trainings, I would want to equip you with like their better and worse things and there's, but just like moving towards them and ex- expressing care, even if you bumble it, is going to be so much more meaningful than being so wrapped up in your own inner world that you think, I'm not going to say anything. Like for me, it is nine years later this month that my daughter Mercy died. It is still, even in the immediate time or now, it is always meaningful to me when someone remembers. Um, if someone has had, you know, a parent die this year, maybe maybe you didn't even do any, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I missed it as a manager or I missed it as a friend. Like that was really important in this individual's life in the last year or two years or five years. It is not too late. Like it is never too late to go go back and I or I still remember this person. Um, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you think, man, I wish I would have done a better person, um, reach out to them. There's a phrase that I love that speaks to this that intent counts more than technique. Yes. So you can say the wrong thing with the best of intentions and they will feel your intentions. Yeah. The opposite is also true. If you would go through, let's say somebody went through the the training and the coaching that you provide and they just went through the motions of saying the things that you said with no real intent of connecting and leaning into that person. You feel that as well. Yeah. So right? someone will sniff that out. Yeah. yeah. So the best thing is just to care. Obviously, your best strategy is to care. And if that's your, if that's the feeling that you have, that you do care, you can bumble on the words a bit, but you'll still feel the intent that was caring. I, I can think of an example. Uh, I said something just really stupid to a to a dear friend that had just lost her father unexpectedly. And we were having this really heartfelt conversation. And somehow what I said was just awful. And, and I paused and I looked at her and I said, oh my gosh, like that's going to be one that wakes me up at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, like, so bad. what was that? And then we were able to have a moment of levity about it because I addressed it. She right. knew that it hit me and I realized it was dumb and, and we were able to just kind of have a laugh and a hug. But yeah, but the whole time I was caring, I just said something really dumb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not, you're not going to be perfect in this. The goal is to be getting better, to be increasing vulnerability and connection along the way. Because even with your friend, like, yes, you didn't say something perfectly, but you did have a connected moment over it where she felt you moving towards her. And similarly, like, I I teach this stuff. I sell it. I live and breathe it. I, within the last couple of months, found myself. And it wasn't until, so I had a friend who had miscarried this year. It was really hard. And I was kind and helpful. And then I found myself, we're sitting at the breakfast planning session that I have gathered to plan a baby shower 
for another friend. And I, I called these friends, you know, we're all going to throw the baby shower. And it's not until I'm sitting there looking at her that I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think before I invited you to help plan this baby shower. Oh, it would yeah. be, it could be intensely painful for you. And I did it in a group text. So maybe there wasn't any way for this person to like, maybe she felt about, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh no, like this is horrible. And it's happening in real time. And all I could do was, you know, connect with her afterwards and be like, I am so sorry. I wish, and she was very gracious, but all that to say, you can be a workplace empathy trainer and still have your own misses. Um, but the goal is the connection behind mm-hmm. the interaction. And yeah, I, I believe that. that people will honor and see that. I often talk about the difference between you know, marbles and puzzles. You know, marbles are perfect and round and shiny. And if we try to do things perfectly, if you put a group of marbles in the middle of the table, they will all roll away. Mm. But if you put the jaggedy ass edges of a puzzle together with all of its imperfection individually together, they're more beautiful and stronger, but we have to be okay. I like that a lot. Jaggedy edges. I like that a lot. And my children are no longer at this stage, but those marbles, they're a choking hazard. Yeah. <laughs> Not only do they roll away, they can kill you. They can kill you. A puzzle piece rarely does. I'm adding that to my keynote and the, yeah. and the part of the book. So thank exactly. you for that ad. <laughs> yes, it's true. Oh. They're dangerous. Oh. Stupid marbles. <laughs> Stupid marbles. Yeah. I, I love this. I think you've given our listeners some amazing context about the importance mm-hmm. of it the scope of it, and then some practical things that they can do as a result. So I will put these tips in the show notes, a link to your podcast, a link to your website. And I would add that if you, if you want to bring you into the organization, you can teach this workshop inside an organization. Right. Yes, I I have um, a range of services from an initial keynote and workshop to specific trainings for managers around these four main categories. It's great. It helps promote this dialogue internally. It helps share best practices, and really, what you come out with is a roadmap for how you can consist circumstances moving forward. So you're not always just putting out fires. Um, I also do customized engagements. And um, in May and October of this year, we're going to be offering a um, a workshop. You can get SHRM credit and certification for it around place empathy. So I'm really excited about that. More details that are to come. And um, Rebecca, I'm going to send you also um, something to include if you want. Um, it's the Workplace Empathy um, 2019 report, which shows that 82% of people would be willing to switch jobs for increased empathy. 78% of respondents said they work longer hours for increased. Um, I mean, I was just looking at the Springbok report um, for the major trends in healthcare and it's um, mental health and mental wellness is something that everybody is dealing with and disruptive life events are right in line with a suite of solutions that needs to be developing because our current support systems are really just not up to the task. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. And uh, we'll put all the links in and uh, make sure to 
get people listening to your podcast. I think this is this is the kind of workplace that we all want and crave. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rebecca. I love being a guest. And I'm not coming down. Thanks for being here. What a critical message that Liesl is putting out into the world to help us know how to connect and care for each other in challenging times. Please check out our podcast, Handle with Care. And as always, I'll put a link in the show notes. And I'll also put a link to the online community. If you're a career woman looking for support, connection, we can give it to you at badasswomenscouncil.community. Thanks so much. Make it a great day. I'm not coming down.